0: praise the lord um, what a what a i 'm just blessed, I know a lot of you are too, amen, especially if you 've come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and uh believed on him and believed that what he did on the cross was sufficient and satisfied god 's requirements for sin to be atoned for and taken care of forever. amen, praise God, praise God our text this this uh, evening is Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 11, on the screen you'll see verse 8, it's kind of the central, we're kind of familiar with that scripture, and it's kind of the core verse, but really it's verses 6 through 11, and as we start, I have been thinking, as you do often, and we see them all the time, but crosses are everywhere, aren't they? I mean, in different places, on license plate uh, frames, stickers, uh, tattoos, uh, art, other kinds of art... um, Whatever, right? They're all over the place. Historical relics. They're even fashion statements, I guess. But more and more, in some weird way, not even weird, but real way, the significance of the cross is being lost. More and more. But let me just say this real quick, and we'll get right into our our text. In a nutshell, the cross is proof of God's love. And if I would tell him a message, that's what I would call it. It's proof of love. And Paul writes to the Romans in chapter 5, and then starting in verse 6, he says, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, or maybe your translation says helpless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person. Someone might possibly dare to die. shall we be saved through his life. Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. In other words, we're, we're friends of God. I have a few questions as we contemplate this scripture, and as we contemplate the great love of God, as we remember, reflect on the sacrifice that Jesus made for you and for me, and that he died on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. And the first question is, what is love? Now, I know there can be there are different definitions and understandings and levels of love, if you want to put it that way, but verse 8 states something. It says, God demonstrates or proves his own love for us. Perhaps another question might help. What is the proof of love? What is the proof of love? Is it that you feel something for someone? Is it that you have a certain attitude? Maybe it's even benevolent towards someone. No, I think it comes to one word. And it can be summed up to one word, and it's simply this. Action. Love is action. There is something that happens. See, talk is cheap. Even feelings are cheap, as real as they are. See, love is an emotion that we feel, but ultimately, it's our actions that show concern for the well-being and benefit of another person. You know, it's like the parable of the Good Samaritan. We're all familiar with it. Most of us know about the Good Samaritan. When Jesus says that there's a man who's going down on the road to Jericho, and he's walking, and he gets... He gets banged up. He gets beat up. He gets, he gets robbed by bandits. And Jesus says that there are people that walk by and he makes a point and he says there's a priest and a Levite who walk by and these are very religious folks and they walk by and you know what? I think they observed and saw the need. I think they even thought, oh, I feel so sorry for I think even a priest or a Levi even said, Oh man, I you know I wish I could do something, but if I do, it's gonna mess up my routine, and I gotta do temple sacrifices, and I got nice robes on. It's all there. It's implied by the fact that Jesus says there's a priest and Levite who walked by. And yes, even for us, we feel badly, even sorry for somebody who's in need or in trouble, but we're never moved to act. We don't do anything about it. Is that love? Is that really, really love? See, love is always demonstrated. There's action behind the feeling, the emotion. And God showed his love for us. Paul says, God demonstrated his love. He made sure to say that because even though God is love and God loves his creation, he loves his people and he loves those he's chosen, of course. But you know what? He proves it and He demonstrates it. In fact, He demonstrated it even historically. The next question I have is, so when did God prove His love? When did He really prove it? Now, I mentioned that He proved it historically by taking care of His people, His chosen called people, by being gracious, by being good, by providing a plan of a way so their sins could be forgiven through the sacrificial system. And God provided for them in their need anything from clothing to things they needed to eat and shelter, especially after they left their, their slavery in Egypt. But look at verse 6. When did God prove His love? God proved His love when Christ died for us at just the right time. When did God prove His love? At just the the right time. What do you mean by that? What does Paul mean when he says that Christ died at just the right time? Paul writes also to the Galatians in chapter 4. And Paul wrote that when the time had fully come, or at the appointed time, or at the exact, right, perfect time, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under law, To redeem those under law that we might receive the full rights of sons. See, this isn't just referring to the clock striking midnight, doing, doing, and it's, and it's the time. But, but, but it means that all the chips, if you will, were in place. Everything was lined up exactly. Everything was ready in God's plan all around the world and in humanity. God, everything was set up just so, and God was measuring the circumstances and now he determined it was time for action. He was so moved by a man's condition and how pitiful it was. And but why was it at the right time? Why was this the right time 2000 years ago when Jesus was born and then ultimately died? See the prophets in the Old Testament, they proclaimed to the world, to people everywhere that they ministered to and spread God's word and proclaimed God's word, that the Messiah would eventually come to save them from their sins, to be their redeemer. See, the law which God himself had given was running its course and proving once and for all that it was limited to demonstrating that no matter how hard we tried to keep the law and to be righteous, it was impossible. It's still impossible. In fact, the law showed that all human effort to achieve righteousness, no matter the form that it took or which underlying philosophy was held to, they all fall short of God's glorious standard. Paul spends time writing about this in the first four chapters of his epistle to the Romans. Sin was just highlighted by the law. And the result was spiritual darkness. There was depravity and there was a destiny that brought condemnation to hell. Forever separated from God's grace. If Christ had waited for us, for people, for humans... To improve themselves. Well, he'd still be waiting, wouldn't he? If he had waited until we got our lives all pulled back together and in order, just like these notes flying around and not having them out of order, right? If we, if we had waited until we, if he waited until we learned how to resist sin completely and follow God's law perfectly, he would have never died. He would have never died. Besides, his death itself would not have been necessary then. The whole purpose of his death was to bring us forgiveness and to show that we could never measure up to God's perfection. At just the right time, humanity was depraved. Humanity was worn out and exhausted all possible efforts and attempts at trying to be right with God. Even though God put that plan there, humanity still turned against Him and suppressed the truth and wanted nothing to do with God. Romans 1 tells us all about that. You should read it. It's true and it's an indictment that says we're all guilty. We're all guilty of sin. Every single human being. And so the next question naturally is, Who did Christ love so much that he died for them? Who did he die for? What were they like? Paul gives us four words in our text. In verses 6 through 11, you'll find them there. First, Christ died for us who were people that were powerless. We were helpless. The word translated powerless in this verse is a word that means without strength. In other words, You could do nothing to be right with God. You had no power whatsoever. The Bible reveals that we were powerless to resist sin. We were powerless to do right. And apart from God, we were and are incapable of working out any righteousness for ourselves to appease God. Paul puts it this way in the book of Ephesians. Chapter 2 and verse 5. God, who is rich in mercy, He made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. You can't get much more powerless than when you're dead. When we were dead in our sins... With no spiritual life in ourselves. No desire for God in ourselves. No spiritual interest in ourselves for God. That's when God made us alive in Christ. Praise Him. And some people say that God helps those who help themselves. You ever hear that? Have you ever said that yourself? But the Bible tells us that God helps the helpless. Christ died for us when we were still powerless. Powerless. Second is that Christ died for people and for us when we were ungodly. Christ died for the ungodly. Back to Romans 5 and verse 6. When we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. The word ungodly here means that we are without reverence or worship. There's a blatant disregard for God. We don't care. We could care less. And we do everything that is opposed to God because that is just who we are. The emphasis here is not really about how wicked or evil you are, but rather about your wrong attitude towards God. Oh yeah, you think you're God? I'm not doing it your way anyway. I don't care. I don't want to worship you. I don't know anything about you. I could care less. It's what Paul talked about earlier in his epistle. In chapter 1, verse 21, he said, For although they knew God they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. Eh, no time could care less. I don't care. Doing things my way. I'm even going to do things against God, if you will. So not only were we powerless and we were ungodly, we had no desire to worship God, no desire to serve him or glorify him as God, but basically Paul's saying, we had a really bad attitude towards God. How about you? Do you have a bad attitude towards God, a disregard for God? Do you seek to push him out of your life? Do you lack the desire to worship and glorify your creator? Do you think it's impossible for you to change? Be encouraged and take heart. When we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly with this rotten attitude towards God. Christ can still save you and he still does save. He can overcome your weakness. He can give you a new attitude. Notice the word for in that phrase. Christ died for the ungodly. When the Bible says that Christ died for us, it means not only that he died in our place, but also for our benefit. The only one who truly worshipped God the Father in spirit and truth all the time perfectly was Jesus. And this same Jesus died for the ungodly people like you and like me. Again, who had bad attitudes and who were powerless to help themselves. Thirdly, Christ died for us when we were sinners. Christ died for sinners. Not just the powerless and the ungodly, but the sinners. Look at verse eight. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Paul contrasts Christ's willingness to die for sinners with our unwillingness to die for anyone. Paul says, very rarely will anyone die For a righteous man. And those words very rarely refer more to the difficulty for us to do such a thing than the actual rarance of its occurrence. In other words, Paul is saying it's so hard and it's a very hard thing to do. Not many have the strength or the courage to die for another. Any takers in here? Yeah. Really hard to do, isn't it? You might wonder, what's the difference between the righteous person and the good person in this verse, if you see it in your Bible? The righteous person is an innocent person, a person who does not deserve to die. He is the one, that that righteous person, who has been unjustly accused. Goodness, however, refers to a person's dealing with others. You're kind, you're caring, and you do some good things the thought of the verse can be summed up with something like this it's very difficult to die for someone else even for an innocent person who doesn't deserve to die although you might possibly dare to die for someone who had been kind to you in the past yeah okay <clears throat> there's a difference but it's still really hard and you're not going to do it most likely now, if it's hard to die for a righteous person or even for a good person, then what about those who are neither righteous nor good? What about those who deserve to die? We just saying about that. It sounds so like terrible and that we should be like beating ourselves and like, that we're such garbage. We're not. I mean, not, not when Christ comes into our life and redeems us and makes us his treasure. We sang about that too, But the thing is, is that God looked at us while we were still sinners, unrighteous, deserving to die. We we did everything against Him. We were ungodly. And Jesus dies for us. Would you die for somebody who has been unkind to you? I mean, like for a long time, over and over again. Would you die for them? I know the answer. It's a rhetorical question. Because really, that would be really hard. But look at Jesus. That's exactly what God did for us. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I feel like repeating that a thousand times. Because you have to understand just the depth of God's love and how powerful that is. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the word sinner here means that someone who's fallen short or you've missed the mark. It's an archery term. And you're constantly trying to hit the bullseye with your life, with your actions, with your attitudes, with your demeanor and your attitude and things you do to people and for people. But in God's eyes, you're missing the mark over and over and over and over again. And God's like, come on, just hit the target. Oh, that's right, you can't. You're powerless and you're ungodly. You're a sinner before you come to Jesus. You're a sinner. You're lost. And we've missed the mark of God's perfection. We fall short of God's standards. In other words, when Christ died for us, we were neither righteous nor good. We were sinners. How did God show His love for us? Not just that Christ died. Not just that Christ died for us. But Christ died for us while we We're still sinners. 1 John 4.10. John says this, This is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us, and He sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And the fourth term, lastly, Christ died for us when we were His enemies. Christ died for His enemies. What were we like when Christ died for us? Again, we were powerless, we were ungodly, we were sinners, and then we're enemies of God. Romans 5, verses 9 to 10 says, Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more Having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life. Christ died for us when we were God's enemies. This means that sin is not only a failure, a falling short of God's will, but it is also rebellion. It is a refusal to do God's will. It's not that we want to do God's will and fall short. We fall short because we don't want to do God's will. And so, we were enemies of God. As enemies of God, we were not only hostile towards God, but we were under God's judgment and wrath as well. And that phrase, God's enemies, captures both our hostility towards God and God's hostility towards sin. Do you ever wonder whether God will admit you to heaven? If you were to die today, Do you know for certain whether you would go to be with God in His presence, in heaven, in all His goodness and glory? Do you have assurance of your salvation? Or do you fear God's wrath? See, God's wrath refers to God's righteous anger towards sin and His just just punishment of it. Apart from Christ... The Bible, and Paul in particular, very strongly teaches that we are all under God's wrath. We are all sinners justly deserving eternal punishment for our sins. But Paul says that if your faith is in Christ, then you have been justified by His blood. And if you've been justified by His blood, that is, if you've been declared righteous in God's sight by, God's, by Christ's death for you on the cross, how much more will you be saved from God's wrath through Christ? Now that is assurance. Verse 10 states the reason for this assurance. And Paul's point is this. If Christ died for us when we were still His enemies, how much more will he save us now that we are his friends? If God already showed us the ultimate act of love when we were still enemies, how much more will God save us now that we have been reconciled, now that we've been res- restored to that friendship with God? This is an incredible truth. Christ died for us when we were still his enemies. You know, there's a progression in these terms. You go from powerless to ungodly to sinner. And those are all terms. They get from bad to worse, right? And they describe who we are. But then that fourth term is an outplaying of who we are. And who we are becomes what we do. And we do things against God because we're His enemies. That's what Paul is talking about here. Think about that. Christ died when we were still his enemies. That's unheard of. Who does that? Who does that? It doesn't make any sense. How can anyone die for their enemy? Can you imagine if we adopted that kind of philosophy and view? Warfare would forever be changed. I I think, I I don't know, it would be kind of weird, wouldn't it? And yet that's what Jesus did. He took the full force of the blast of sin for us. And he did it while we were still God's enemies. That is the incredible, amazing love of God. And so, the last question we need to answer is how should we respond to this love of God that has been proved to us by the death of His Son on the cross for our sins. Paul concludes in verse 11. Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Because you've been reconciled, Because God proved His great love for you in forgiving you through your faith and trust in what Jesus did on the cross, dying for you sacrificially. And when you receive that with full faith, you have this assurance. And you know what? All you can do because of your reconciliation is rejoice and just thank God and be so filled with joy and gratitude for what He has done. Yes, we used to be God's enemies. now we're His friends because of what Jesus did. We used to be under God's terror and wrath, but now we rejoice in Him because we've received reconciliation. We're at peace with God, a peace which God Himself provided at the cross and which we received at our salvation. Have you believed on Him? Have you received His salvation? We rejoice in God. That's all that's left to do now. Even though it's Good Friday. And we know the suffering and all the the horrible things that happen. But we still rejoice in God. Because the cross of Christ is the proof of God's love. Amen. It is what it is. It's the truth. And God proved His love powerfully. Father, thank you so much for sending your son Jesus and thank you, Jesus, for humbly coming, voluntarily laying your life down on the cross to prove the Father's great love that we could be reconciled back to him. Lord, we thank you and praise you. And I pray that as we go, we would go humbly, but we would go with rejoicing because that's all that we can do and sing our praises and worship you and honor you with all our heart, soul, strength, mind, words, resources that we have, resources that we don't even have, whatever it is, whatever we've got, Lord God, we give it to you and we praise you and give you all the honor and glory because we are now your friends. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Amen. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you on Easter, 8, 15, 10, 30. We'll celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Amen. Have a great night. Go in the love of God.